Hello and welcome along to the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 20th of January, as it is my co-host coming to us from his home in Sydney, the beloved, the fantastic, the delightful oh, Nicole, oh. aka Stolich. How are you, Stolich? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Lucy? Everything going well? I'm doing really well, actually. It's been mm. a, another big week in football. We've had a hell of a lot going on, of course, in today's program. We've got a hell of a lot to get through. Mm. Shortly, we'll discuss the Wanderers and the Mariners match. Um, then we've got an A-League wrap coming up later on. Uh, in terms of special guests, we've got a big all-star lineup today. So many things to discuss with the AAFC chairman, Nick Galatis, who's coming on to give us an update on the National Second Division and the report that they've just commissioned and released. Um, plenty of questions for him. We know that there's been a lot of engagement across our socials. Michael Long, good afternoon, guys. Great to have your company. One of our top fans here on the World Game Live. Great to see you once again, my friend. Ivan Sragan, another one of our top viewers. Hi, guys. Ready for the show, as are we. As I said there, there's been a lot of engagement around the national second tier. Anytime that this conversation does come up, we've, get, we've got a lot of questions, particularly from our viewers. So stay tuned for that one. As I said, Nicolatis coming up later on. Western United defender Ivan Vujica also joins us on the show to talk about that special goal that he did score, plus so much more, how life is going uh, under Marco Ruda down at Western United and also how things are going in terms of their adjustment to COVID-19. It's becoming our new normal, um, which is a bit sad to say, really. Um, what are you giggling about, Stolich? We've got some I'm more just, there's a There's a comment in there from Santino Mamone already. Hi, guys. Listen, i, I got to say, he says, shit top, Nick, inter merda, lol. Listen, <laughs> the reason I'm wearing this, it's a beautiful top. Inter 2, Juve 0 in the Davide Italia. Inter's looking very good this season. And Juve, Santino, are not looking so good. We'll, we'll talk about that maybe a bit later. Yeah, Santino Mamone, another one of our top viewers. Welcome back to you this week. Great to have your company, Santino. And um, commiserations to you for being a Juve fan as well. But um, And then later on in the program, we've also got women's football expert Sam Lewis joining us. We've got mm. Aussies abroad. We've got bad news, good news. We've got a heck of a lot happening on today's program. So stay tuned. Make sure you get your questions and your comments in for our guests and for myself and Nick throughout the program as well. Mike Long, nice shirts of Cruyff and Kuehl there. Yes, two great legends in their respectful rights there. So, Lich, I want to start um, with that news item first up and making headlines. Of course, the Mariners lost their first match of the season after going down to the Wanderers 1-0. Um, the question that we're posing to everybody off the back of this, and we mentioned that we're going to do an A-League wrap later on, but we had to touch on this game, is um, are the Wanderers the real deal? We've seen some positive signs from them, Stolich. We've seen some less positive signs from them but all in all the question that um we're asking i think is a fair one yeah i mean listen i like this a-league season because everyone seems to get a go at the top of the table we had the mariners there we had macarthur there for a bit we've had the wanderers there now it feels like everyone but perth because they're starting so many games late is going to get to go we're top of the table i <laughs> think i think the wanderers did well last night uh in their one nil win over the mariners uh, i thought you know um they were very impressive uh at the back there you know they, they did well but the Wanderers have scored four goals in four games. So I think we shouldn't get too excited about them yet. There's still a work in progress. Um, you know, there was, it was very interesting to see how Ziggy Gordon was treated. Uh, clearly, the Mariners aren't the biggest fans of him. And I thought it was good that the Mariners fans boo him. For me, that's what football is. You should boo, you know, the players that used to play for you and left, especially if they left in the circumstances he did. I'm surprised Bernie Abini, who also used to play for the Mariners, didn't get, um, you know, more scrutiny. For the Mariners, the positives oh, are... Was- 
let's really call a spade a spade here. We're going to be yeah. booing all day, every day when an A-League game's <laughs> on from how much recycling we've had go on throughout this league and how many clubs players have been to. So I don't mind a bit of booing from a former club, but for heaven's yeah. sakes, we'll be booing all day, as I said, if we're going to keep that adage up. <laughs> that, that, that is very, uh, very true. But, yeah, it was a good, it was a good win for the Mariners um, and they'll be very happy with that. Um, I thought for, uh, sorry, for, for the Wanderers. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, man, all this stuff is going on. We're trying to get the highlights up. Um, but I will say for the Mariners, the positives were I thought uh, the combination between Nisbet and De Silva was quite promising. And, you know, they're at least competitive this season because, let's be honest, for the last few seasons they have just been an absolute walkover. So now it's good that there's, you know, a lot of tension in those games that they're playing. And, you know, you got to give credit to Stadge for that. We absolutely have to give credit to Stadge for that because we know that the Mariners aren't a football club that have a hell of a lot of a budget to play with. Mm -hmm. We know that Mike Charlesworth, their owner, has made no secret about the fact that he's trying to offload the club. Um, But one thing I will say is that I don't think it's enough for the Mariners to just be competitive anymore. I mean, I thought that they played very competitive football under Paolo, under Paul Ocon. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all well and good that they come out and they fight and they show spirit for the jersey, etc. But ultimately, we need to start to see improvement results-wise. Um, and I think that, you know, there was a lot of optimism around the Mariners, of course, first two games, two wins on the board. It was hugely important, but let's not get too carried away. It's early doors yet. And um, and what we need to see from them is consistency and how that's going to be reflected uh, going forward. Because what we can't have anymore is the Mariners continuing to stink up the league. And I think that's been a massive problem for a number of years. It's drawn even more ire onto the fact that, you know, we don't have promotion and relegation. And what we want to see is more of an injection of excitement in the competition. Competition. Um, and it's just, it's it's a tired old story. We need to see more from the Mariners. So going forward, yes, it is their first loss. Again, early doors to talk about it being dire at this point. But, you know, I think the, the real telling signs are going to be how, they, how they're tracking midway through the season. Um, and, and can we see more from them than what we have in the past? We'll certainly hope so, particularly for the fans' sake, because as I've said in the past, in, in, in fierce defence of them, the fans there are some of the most loyal that you'll see across the country. They're, they're huge supporters of their football club. They'll keep turning up yes they're in dwindling numbers given that you know their performances over the years haven't been great uh, as well as their results but uh you know they're a proud football club um and and they want to be doing well and we keep harking back to the days of graham arnold and laurie mckinna when they were achieving success um we need to see that uh, on a more consistent level from them so i do hope that we can Mm. see from the mariners going forward but are the wanderers are the wanderers Um, the real deal no, I, I'm, I still think they – I don't think they'll be champions, basically. I think they, they look like they have more structure uh, under Carl Robinson, which is good. Um, I thought Mark Natter, who was on debut last night, the centre-back, I thought he did very well. It was good to see he's very calm for a young player. Um, and that defence looks solid, which is good. You know, Ziggy Gordon's there. Uh, that's helped them a lot. Um, but, yeah, it does seem further up the pitch. They have their issues. Uh, I like Simon Cox's movement. Um, but he hasn't scored a lot of goals since he came here. I think he's a smart player. You've got uh, a beanie who seems to be playing up front as well. You know, traditionally he's been kind of more of a, a winger. Yeah, Troisi. So, listen, there are a lot of new faces to embed, and, and maybe that connection is just a few weeks away, and, and maybe they'll start scoring goals soon. But, yeah, I, I think the Wanderers, uh, I think they're going to be about mid-table.
Oh, okay. John Stevens, guys, no use talk about the A-League when Perth Glory hasn't even played yet. Thank God they are finally playing tonight in their game against Adelaide. And we are going to talk a little bit more about Perth Glory in our A-League wrap later on down the program. But let's move on to the next big, big topic of conversation. And we're about to welcome our special guest shortly on this very subject. The AAFC has released their progress report on what they've called reshaping the second tier of football in Australia. The question that we're posing to everybody is will they get the necessary support to get this up and over the line. And when we ask that question, it is across a range of platforms with respect to this. It's will they get Football Australia support? Will they get the fan support? Will they get the club support? As it stands, it appears as though their 32 MPL members have shown their support and thrown it behind this. Uh, Stolich, before we introduce Nick Galatis, who is the chairman, I, I want to quickly ask you what your reaction to the report was overall. Finally, in my opinion, the second division, you know, it needs to be done properly, but it cannot come quick enough. You know, I really want to see a second division, whether that be a national second division, whether that be in conferences. I'm going to talk to Nick Galatis about that soon, but I just want a second division. I think promotion relegation is a necessary step. The Australian, I think the Australian football pyramid needs to be connected from top to bottom. It's a necessary step in the, in our evolution. It happens everywhere else in the world, pretty much. So we need to do it. Um, and we hope that this is successful. Um, but yeah, my, my initial thought was good. Let's keep going. You know, this is a good step, but we need to make more steps. Well, let's find out about those steps uh, as they stand uh, at the very moment, but also the steps that will need to be taken going forward from this and introduce our special guest, the AAFC Chairman Nick Galatis. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Great to see you, my friend. We've had a lot of discussions leading up to this point about where the national second tier is at, and I know that yourself and and your member clubs, the 32-plus member clubs, have really put in a hell of a lot of work to see something like this happen, but you have made progress. You've invested a lot of time and energy into this just tell us and give us a brief snapshot of, of what some of the key themes are coming out of this report um thanks firstly thanks very much uh lucy for having me on and uh and nick uh, much appreciated we are trying to get as much traction for this um piece of work that we've done uh, as possible we think it's very exciting for the game uh, we think the game's calling for it as you've said and what um, I think everyone has seen and commented on so far about the report is its fundamental features, which are start where we can. I mean, we haven't got a second division, so we, we, we're trying to, a proper one, and we're trying to introduce one, which is why we've called it reshaping what is currently the national um, the second tier, which is the NPL, trying to make it better. And what, what we say is that the clubs um, that will form this, um, this division will effectively... Uh, start where they can. So this is, let's get it started. This is, it's sustainable, it's doable, it's doable now, uh, and it's financially viable and responsible. So where it's, the, it's where you start and where you finish. So if we start where we are, then we can progress from here on to what we hope will be in our progressively, a progressive phase approach that we've, um, that we've identified and outlined in the report. Uh, within a few years, a very mature and strong national second tier uh, capable of being linked, of course, with our our um, A League as well. That's but that's not for now. That's for later as we as we establish it and get there. So they're the salient features. It's viable. It's financial. Um, there are clubs that can participate in it now. Not only I should say from our thirty two uh, partner group clubs, but many others. Uh, it's not open just to them. It's open to everybody from our perspective. Uh, and we would be hoping that when um, Football Australia. Uh, absorbs this and of course has its own input it's going to be its project not ours uh, it will be a competition which will 
uh, be attractive to many, many applicants uh, to start it off. Some really good points that you made there, particularly about the collaboration with Football Australia. They uh, they reached out to provide a statement via a spokesperson, um, and in great length, I'll shorten it from football. F- f- pardon me, from Football Australia's perspective, it's not a question of if there will be a second-tier competition, but a question of when and how. It is important that we move Mm. the discussion from the conceptual level to a practical level, but we do so collaboratively and in unison. Now, that's the statement that they issued initially months ago when the AAFC first came out. They have elaborated on it. But one of the key things for them, um, for example, is the consideration of proposals for a national second-tier competition in the context of our current circumstances, the strategic Mm. objective of the 11 principles, practical financial modelling at both competition administrator and club level and the various competition models slash formats that can be considered. Now, their full statement can be seen across our social media pages if you'd like to catch that. But, Nick, um, one, one sense that I'm getting from Football Australia is that they feel quite, and correct me if I'm wrong, They, from what it looks to me is that they feel quite hesitant um, in terms of the work that you're doing and, and everything that you're investing into this because it, every time they make a statement on it, it's, well, this has to be a collaborative process, it has to be in unison. Are you collaborating with them and, and what's your relationship with them and other stakeholders like? Because I know that you're going to now commence a process where you start speaking yes. to other stakeholders. But I'm wondering why you haven't yes. done that already in this early stage. Well, you've got to start somewhere, Lucy. So what, what we've done is we've put out our, our model. This is what our clubs can do. So it's obviously um, it's a difficult thing to do. We've had a National Second Division Steering Committee, so we have been collaborating. Um, Football Australia set that up uh, in 2019. We were a key member of that. Uh, and together with member federations, together with, um, of course, chaired by Football Australia, Rima Nogarado then was chairing it, uh, and uh, other stakeholders. Um, we were, Professional Footballs Association was on it, um, Football Coaches Australia were on it, Women's Council were on it, I think the A-League were on it too. We're all on it, we're all working on it. Now, um, so it's not the case that we haven't been collaborating, we have. And what we've done now uh, with um, the COVID, COVID interruption to our to our, our lives and our, our seasons last year, and of course the FFA or FA now, um, focusing as it did last year on um, football and restarting the A-League, finishing the season, unbundling the A-League, and, and of course many other priorities, we took the opportunity to establish and identify exactly what it is that our clubs can do. Now, we're still doing that. We haven't finished, but we, we've put out our progress report to date. This is what the clubs can do. And they can do it uh, as soon as possible. Obviously, you can't start overnight, uh, but they can do it uh, as soon as a league can start, whether it be in 2022 or 2023, if it's particularly if it's a winter season, probably 23. Um, then uh, this is a starting position. So we're, but we want to get over this hurdle that I think this game has been stuck on, which is, um, what will it look like? So everyone says they want one, as you uh, read out there before, Lucy. Um, concept, you know, the word conceptual comes up. The word, you know, it's good for football. We all want it. But unless someone does something, it won't happen. And we'll still be here talking about it in years to come. So we are saying here is something that can be done. It's viable. It's financial. It can start now. There are clubs that want to do it. They can do it. It's a clear improvement on what we've got. And it's got embedded within it. Uh, within its DNA, development potential. So it can get better. That's the key. And it will get better. So the question is, why not? We say it's time. I said that in the forward. We say it's time. We say why not. 
We've got clubs that can do it. They can do it now. They can be better than what they are. That's that's our starting point. Uh, so it's a little bit like, Lucy, and I've said this before to someone else yesterday, but I don't know if you can remember but when we had the um, the Great Republic debate in Australia. And everyone was, uh, everybody, there were many people for it, but there wasn't a model. There wasn't something that people could wrap their heads around and debate and discuss. And we say, here is a model. Here is something that can work. Now, it's not necessarily, it's not perfect and complete and, and, I, and something that can start tomorrow from everyone's perspective. And many people, I myself have issues, you know, I might, if I was designing it as Nick Galatas, not as AAFC, not as the partner group, I might have a different view, slightly different view about something. You might, Nick might, uh, everyone might, but that's not going to get us started. We're not going to have 150 models, we're going to have one. And given that it's the clubs that are going to run this, the clubs will bear the burden, they'll bear the financial risk. Let's see what they can do and what they want. This is it. That's where we are at the moment. With, of course, this is it as a starting point. Let's talk to everybody else from here and let's see what improvements can be made to it. We're not saying we're perfect. That's our, that's our position. Before I throw across to Nick, a couple of comments coming from our viewers. Alex Evangelidis, one of our viewers here on the World Game Live. Great to have your company, Alex. Thanks for your statement. Australia doesn't have a big population, let alone a football population. It won't work as much as I would love it to. Another one from Joe Hunt. It's barely financially viable to have a top division, a country the size of Australia with a lack of money already available to the game, unlikely to ever be financially viable to have the second division. I'm sure you've heard it all already, Nick. There's a lot of scepticism around this. And, and particularly I've, I've brought these comments up because it's with respect to the model that you have proposed and to give a snapshot to those that perhaps haven't read the report, I'd encourage all of you to do it. Adam Howard um, said a, a bang on comment before. He said, before you chirp in, actually read the report, guys, because I think it's really crucial before you can have a view on all of this. Um, but participating clubs, as per the, the report, would be required to pay an annual participation fee of $200,000 on top of an annual budget of between $850,000 and $1.6 Million. Now, some existing LPL, MPL clubs already operate on budgets of up to 950000 which is quite positive. So you wouldn't have a salary cap. You don't want to include that in there. Um, but it would be initially a 12-team, 22-round national competition, and it's estimated to generate $1.45 in transportation costs, roughly $120K per club, and a targeted 16-team, 30-round competition will incur $2.62 in travel expenses, around 165 k per club. Now, you're opposed to the idea of a conference-style setup. Why is that, Nick? Well, can I say, Lucy, I mean, you, you, said, you said quite a bit there, so if I can just pick up on a couple of points because it was there's a bit in there. And just if I can if I can just start even from two people that put up, two people whose comments you put up on the um, screen before you read out. Now, again, just because that is, as you say, um, the view of many, but just to deal with those very quickly, we're past that. If, if Football Australia said it's not a question of if, we're, we're beyond that. So we're going to have one. So now we're talking model. So therefore, when people say, oh, we don't have the population or we're not, you know, the first tier is barely financially viable, with all due respect to that view, and it's, it, 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 it's a few people have it, not just the two, we're, we're well beyond it. So we're not discussing that anymore. And also I should add here a very key uh, issue that people seem to forget. We're not judging the financial viability of this model by... A-League's financial viability or otherwise. It's a different model. Uh, it's, it it's doesn't have the expenses. The difficulty with the A-League model, from our perspective, is not so much um, it's revenue-based, but it's cost-based. I mean, it, it, it went with a very, very high cost base from, uh, from many people's perspective, and 
here it is. So um, what we're doing is we're, we've taken into account that issue and that consideration. So we're trying to keep our cost base low to begin, while at the same time representing a very, very substantial improvement to our game. So that, that's, that's I think, as a, as a key starting point. Now, from there, you asked me, and it's linked, um, Lucy, you asked me about the conference model. And when you, when you uh, um, come to a question like that, I think it's important to identify what it is that is meant by a conference model. I mean, I don't know. What is a conference model? We, we tend to say, use that word loosely in, Australia, in sport, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but we well, tend to sort of refer let's, to... Let's compare it to, say, the Brazilian second tier, who also use yeah, a conference okay. model. Okay. Yes. Well, let's do that. So in, uh, let's compare ourselves to Brazil. I'd love to compare ourselves to Brazil. I think we all would. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's a few people, more people there than there are here. I mean, 220-odd million people, I think, uh, in Brazil. We're and talking very, about the model. Uh, we're talking about the model, Nick. Yes, but but that, but that but of course a model is referable to its its environment and to the population, to the people who will play it, and ex and that's exactly what we've sought to do in our report. We've sought to take into account, you know, who we are and what we are in Australia and where the sport sits now in Australia. We're not, you know, we're, there are other football codes. We're not the number one football code. Um, we have a very uh, much smaller population than Brazil, and we've got a large, um, although we've got a very large um, geographical country, um, size country, of course, most of the people are actually centred on the eastern seaboard, so it's not as big as all, all of that. Sometimes it's easy to forget that um, if you look at a map of the Australian population, it doesn't correspond to the map of the our boundaries in any way, shape or form. So that that is also something to take into account. We're not that huge. Most of the people, most of the clubs, um, will play within um, on the eastern seaboard. And, of course, we hope to include Adelaide, Perth, Hobart um, as well and other, and other centres. But that's where most of Australia is. So when you talk conference model, you've got to talk A, cost and B, revenue. So we've taken that into account. And what we're saying is, while definitely it will cost less to play um, if you're playing in um, smaller regions, naturally, I mean, it goes without saying, if you're not travelling, if not everybody's travelling to Perth or uh, wherever it might be, uh, great distances, you will save money, undoubtedly. On the flip side, you will miss out on the revenue that big games will bring. So we're looking at both all of that. The partner group clubs have considered that, considered it very carefully. So that's one of the issues that we're balancing up, and we're saying on balance, on balance, taking into account revenue um, considerations, um, commercial opportunities, and of course. Other issues like what's best for the players in terms of playing at the highest level, um, concentrating the, the talent as much as one can because that will produce the best football as well, let's not forget, uh, and, the, and the best player development. That's the model. This is the model that we think is best. If you dilute it the other way and you leave it as it is now, for example, uh, with NPLs, and you've got lots of second-tier clubs, like you can do in Brazil because there's so many and you can still have great standard, in Australia you lose that. So we've got to look at all issues and we're trying to balance them up what's best for the players and coaches and other things for govern and, and in governance and producing strong clubs and we think that's a national model a concentrated model of the best with clubs coming into it from below that also achieve those standards and that way you build very strong capable clubs and the better footballers as well as maximizing revenue opportunities through bigger matches while meeting what will be more expensive if you're travelling further and you've got national. So these are the considerations. That's why it's a 60-page report, not a three-page document on the back of a napkin. So we've done that work, we've analysed it, and we're continuing to do it. 
Stolich, over to you. Yeah, Nick, and, and not to kind of go back to this uh, conference model debate thing, but I just wanted to know uh, the report said uh, 12 teams, 22 rounds. I presume that's yep. 22 games. Is yep. there a consideration, or I'm assuming there has been, but why was this decided against, to not make it 33 and have that kind of extra set of games, which, you know, more games, more goals, more highlights, more storylines, more revenue that you can get, more chance for everyone to, to be able to yep. attend these matches. Is it possible, and I know, you know, more games, obviously more costs, of course. Could you have a kind of hybrid model that you see sometimes in America, for example, where they play, you know, X amount of games, but you play more games against teams in your conference? So, say, for example, in Melbourne, you know, you, you still play all of the games nationally, but you just play more games if you're South Melbourne against Melbourne Knights, against Heidelberg United, against, you know, Hume City, whatever. Uh, is that a consideration to to make it, you know, t- 22 rounds just seems quite short to me. And, you know, is it possible that we could go longer? It, look, uh, Nick, it does. And, and I've got to say, it was one of my personal um, considerations in all of this, that to have 22 and to go further where we've had discussions, for example, recently uh, in relation to performance gap issues and players playing as much as possible. So we're mindful of that. It's one of the issues that we're very mindful of. And it was one of the balancing considerations and it's about where you start. And if you look at our phased approach, it does have more games as we progress. That's not to say, in response to your specific question about a third round, that that's impossible. That's, That's why this is a progress report. And we're looking at all of that, and we're actually still doing our revenue work, and particularly as the um, the broadcast uh, um, domino falls with the A League first, of course, and we hopefully we'll come in behind that. Depending what sort of funding is available, and we've been very very conservative about that. We want to make sure that we can start and be there one, two, three years in. That's a key consideration. So. What you say has great validity and has been taken into account by us and the particular committees within our, our partner group about how we achieve more games, because that is a good thing. Completely agree with that. So we are still working on that. And a consideration like the one you made or a suggestion is still the sort of thing we're going to look at and try and build into the revenue uh, base as we move towards our final report in April. I have to ask about that final report because, as you said, you're going to be engaging with more stakeholders around that. Um, I've heard, if I'm completely transparent, I've heard whispers that you don't necessarily have that much of an appetite to engage with the likes of the PFA and member federations who are very crucial in all of this. Um, Can you you confirm or deny? Not true. That's fine. As I said, you know, I'm a journalist and we hear a lot of things around the traps, but that is something that I have heard. And you are looking to collaborate with these various stakeholders. But the other question that I have to ask on all of this, Nick, is that ultimately it falls with Football Australia. The decision-making around this, yeah, the model that they're yes. to establish, everything that they're doing will really come via them. Is there a yes. danger and are you in any kind of fear, along with your 32 member clubs, <laughs> that this could all just be a waste of time from your perspective? Well, if, 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 if Football Australia doesn't want to do this, they won't. Um, it, could, it might all be a waste of time. Who knows? But we're putting out there what we say is doable, and, and and really the way we've approached it, um, Lucy, and I've said this to Football Australia directly, is that if you look at the 11 principles and the um, it, uh, particularly principle four, which talks about the um, development of the national second tier and then the second division, it talks about Football Australia working with its stakeholders, including us, not only us, but including us. Now, the way, the, the, when we read that, and read it carefully and, have, and had, we'd already started this process, of course, but we then calibrated this report accordingly. And we, of course, had the, had the draft 11 principles before it as well. So what we, what we thought we'd do is this. 
well, when we're sitting around the table with Football Australia Consulting and I'm sit, sitting there doing it, what am I going to say? What I think um, or what um, it's our member clubs that can do, think, want, etc. It's got to be an informed discussion. Now, no doubt Football Australia is doing its analysis of all sorts of things and they will have an informed discussion and, and contribution as will the member federations, as the PFA always does and you know, to its credit and as other um, newer um, organisations such as Football Coaches Australia are going to do, no doubt. So what we thought was, let's really um, uh, produce something robust, something re really concrete and and um, and defendable. So we've got something tangible to put to F F Football Australia. Ultimately, we think we're the key stakeholder here because we represent the participating clubs, at least the vast majority of the clubs that will participate in a national second division. So that's why we think we're crucial. And I we have worked very closely with organisations like the PFA, um, uh, particularly, I mean, I haven't yet dealt um, extensively with its new co-executives, um, but before that with John Dudulicher, who was on the um, steering committee, uh, and prior to that on the working group, we're coming to the steering committee, we'd work closely together. Uh, and I hope that we continue to work closely together with the PFA. So I'm working closely with um, the Football Coaches Association. and But it must be remembered, though, that we're going to be the employers in the end. The clubs really are going to bear the, bear the burden and risk of all of this. So as much as taking into account player interest and considerations, critical, of course, same with the coaches, same with everyone else, ultimately, it's the club that if it doesn't survive, there'll be nothing else. So that's we, we've got to put that, I think, centrally while taking into account, of course, every you know, the whole of the game and, you know, input, even what Nick just said before, you know, great input. We'd be mad not to listen to people. So, uh, and we will, and we'll accommodate um, as everyone as much as we can for our model, which eventually will say, this is what the club can do. And we hope that Football Australia, as we progress our discussions with them, will see that as a great positive. But that's how we intend it. We think, you mentioned the A-League, and you've got A-League people coming on after this as well, and you were talking about it before I came on. We we think the amount of people that will come on board in football as a result of this, just in football alone, will, you know, rise, a rising tide, you know, lifts all ships. That's our, that's our motto here. We want to raise the whole of the game. It's not about a section of the game. It's about the whole of the game. Mm, couldn't agree more, Nick. Um, thank you so much for your time. Unfortunately, we have run out before we've got to move on to our next special guest. I know that this is a, a really contentious subject across the board because, as we've already established, there are so many views on this. Everyone has a dog in this fight from their view because they feel as though it's something that we've all wanted for so long, but just how do we get there? And it is a, a long process and one that I'm, I'm sure will be a collaborative one and, and everybody involved will, will get their say and their time in the sun. So, Nick, thank you for your time and we wish you all the very best we will be keeping an eye out on that report the next one coming out in april so thank you thank you lucy thank you nick all the best good afternoon good luck good afternoon oh, yes great you. to see nick Alatis there once again of course we've had um several conversations with nick in the in the last few months about the national second tier and you know and when when i last caught up with him it was in that sort of early phase they hadn't really done any work or or commenced any kind of proceedings on a report as such so to see them go to these lengths and produce a, a 60 page report i think is a step in the in the right direction stolich but um you know there there are a lot of concerns around this there's a lot of skepticism and, and what i said to nick there kind of underpinned how i feel about it all 
all. It's that there's this worry that they could go and do all of this work um, in, in effect to try and force Football Australia's hand on it, but ultimately it all rests with them. And then you've also got Football Australia doing their own work and exploring what a model could look like, whether or not it's financially sustainable. So have we got, you know, a whole set of different people here, you know, doing all of this work on it when we would probably like to see them doing it collaboratively? Yes, but ultimately from, you know, from the AAFC's perspective and when, my, when I caught up with Nick last, he said that, well, we are frustrated that it's taking this long to get here. And I think that frustration is shared right across the board. I've noticed that a couple of you also in our stream comments are fighting um, and I'll name you, Alex Evangelides and Adam Howard. I don't like it, guys. This isn't a stream where we allow for that type of behaviour. So if you can't get your shit together, we'll kick you both off and you won't be welcome back again. So enough with the fighting um, and, and have a good, honest debate about things. That's what we like in football, but we don't like arguing. Um, Stolich, one final comment then from your perspective before we move on to welcome our next special guest, Ivan Buitza. Yeah, well, I just think it's good that they are moving it and I like a lot of what is being said. Um, but yeah, hopefully, like he's saying, 2023, uh, you know, we need to see action. Uh, we're seeing, you know, and I understand it's a process and, and all these things need to be ticked off to get to where we want to be, which is to have a second division, to have promotion relegation. But, you know, as everything in Australian football, it just is frustratingly slow. Um, so hopefully 2023, I feel like at least we, at least this is something, okay? So if there are 12 team, teams that are willing to do this, willing to put the money up, you know, let's go. And then Football Australia should have a very valid reason as to why they can't make a second division if the 12 teams are ready to go. Um, so, you know, that's probably the next step I would assume is uh, getting all those 12 teams to agree and to put up the money. And then let's, you know, let's get this show on the road. Uh, I think it's vital for the game. Couldn't agree more. My only other concern is quickly before I wrap up, and I mean, there's so much to talk about on this particular subject. We could dedicate a whole show to it, and I think we might have to do that down the line when the next report comes out. But 12 teams, it seems like it's small for me. Um, you know, when I consider how many teams, how many viable teams, for example, you could pull out of Melbourne um, on their own, uh, there, there are at least five or six there. Uh, but again, look, they've done the research and, and, and they know best, but I still it feel like 12 is small. I mean, if they have 16 who are ready and have everything ready to go, go with 16 straight away. You know, let's not worry about it. Let's not kick anyone out who's ready to go. Um, but, yeah, I, listen, I think it would be wonderful to, to see it all in action. Uh, so we're hoping. We're hoping it happens. And, you know, it's not going to be perfect for sure. Uh, nothing ever is. Um, so, you know, let's not get too distracted by some things. I think that, oh, there's this little problem with one club. Okay, we can't do it. No, we can do it. Let's just, you know. Let's just get going. So Let's just get going is right. Speaking of getting going, let's welcome our next special guest. So delighted to welcome the great Ivan Vujica joining us all the way from his club in Western United. Ivan, great to have your company, mate. Tell us, how are things going down there? Life seems pretty nice for Western United at the moment. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, things things are well. Um, I'm fortunate, first and foremost, that we, we didn't get the three points in the weekend. Um but for me personally, I was I was very glad to be on the field and um, to participate in playing the ninety minutes after being out for so long. But uh, now we look to the next game, so we'll see how that goes. Before I throw over to Nick, talk to me about what that period for you was like being out of the game. Oh, like for any other player, it was tough. Um, uh, I was speaking to the physio just the other day, and I was saying how we tried so many solutions to. Um, try and solve the injury but nothing was working and ultimately uh, it was a surgery um, which ended up helping me um, so I'm very thankful for my surgeon to get that um, 
solved. Um, but in saying that, the club, the players around me, the physios again, and, and, and the staff were very helpful in getting me back. And I'm very thankful and grateful to have them around me. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, Ivan, talk us through uh, the goal that you scored against City. We'll bring it up uh, now. But it was a really nice goal Woo-hoo! off the of um, and it clearly meant a lot to you, as we saw in the celebrations. But, uh, you know, set-piece, Western United seemed to score a lot of goals off their set-piece. Is that something that you guys focus on more than kind of normal? Uh, yeah, leading into the week, uh, the centre-backs, uh, specifically me, Tommy, uh, Aaron Carver and Brennan Hamill, um, we were training after after training. We are doing some extras and we were just particularly working on, on crossing and we are versing each other who could get the most points, you know, if you scored a goal and where the fullbacks crossing to us. And before the game, we were telling each other, we were saying one, one of us has to score. We've put in too much work on our heading to for one of us not to score. So um, it clearly paid off. Uh, and tell us, what's it like working under the great Marco Rudan? I mean, you know, from people that you speak to that have worked with him in the past at Wellington, from his time at City United as well, they've, they've all got really great things to say about him. But what's he like as a manager, Ivan? Unbelievable. Um, and he was a huge, if not the biggest factor in me, in me coming to this club. I wanted to work with him. Um, I saw what he could do with the likes of Libby Kakachi with Starpreet Singh, um, what he did with Tommy Uskok at United and now he's here with us again. So, and I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to grow under him and everything I thought about him, he, he he's that and more. So, I'm, again, uh, I'm very thankful to have him as my coach and to have all the other staff with me. And um, that was why after I scored, uh, you know, I didn't really think of pre-game. I wasn't thinking what I'm going to celebrate or whatever, but when I scored, naturally, I want to share that moment with him and with the physios because they were pivotal in getting me back on the field. Stolich, over to you. Um, Victor Sanchez and Guracena uh, playing at Western United this season. What are they bringing uh, to the team and how are they settling in? They're settling unbelievable. Um, and they're brilliant players, as, as you know. Um, you know, just throughout training, he was he was doing some things and I'm just, uh, you just got to say, same with Diamante, he does some things and you just put your hands up and say, my goodness, <laughs> you know, what is this? Um, and the fact that I get to witness that, you know, day in, day out, um, you know, you see the the game, the ninety minutes, and they do unbelievable things. Where that that for us, he's doing it, you know, day in day out. Um, so yeah, he's bringing that extra class to, to the team, and we're we're grateful for that as well. Can I ask? You know, obviously they have the technical quality, but are there are these kind of you know experienced players, and we'll include kind of Barisha in that as well. Are they helping kind of you with your own game, whether it be tactical, whether it be mental, just those mm-hmm. things that experience really kind of brings, and someone who's played in Serie A or La Liga can give you that extra piece of advice that maybe you know you will take on board and go, oh, that's you know a really great perspective. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I, I try, I try to stick close to them. I try to just be a sponge next to them and try to soak up everything I have to say. I join in the conversations even when they don't want me to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to gain, <laughs> gain all sorts of wisdom. Best, yeah. They all and and to be fair, they're always they're always willing to help and and give and give words of advice. Um, but yeah, like you said, they've got that extra bit of wisdom, which is um, so crucial and so beneficial to anyone and everyone. Um, and I just a little moment, I remember before the game, it was just before kickoff, I think the whistle was just about to blow and, and Dia was calling out my name and he's just like, oh, like, calm down. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, yeah. he knew it was my first game back in a while. He's like, keep it cool. You know, you got this. So yeah. um, little things like that, he'll pull out, which is, you know, it, it's beautiful. 
Uh, a question coming through from one of our Facebook viewers, Ayan Sharif. Uh, good afternoon to you, Ayan. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, he said, what lessons will the team take from the defeat to Melbourne City, Ivan? Mm. Well, first and foremost, we have to we have to be better in terms of conceding goals. Um, as defenders, we always we love zeros. And the number zero, that for us is our, our favourite number. Um, so looking to keep clean sheets. First and foremost, will be, and I think the biggest lesson there. Um, also, we had a, we had a, you know, it was one-one. Can we hold the game better? Can we control the game better in that regard? You know what I mean? There was a lot of lessons to take out from that game, but also we got a lot of positives that we can take out, and, and we hope to continue that into the next game. And your next game, of course, will be against Perth Glory. Um, before I throw to Nick for the final question, I mean, just how challenging has it been? It must be so frustrating for you guys because of this whole COVID disruption, having to wait, preparing for games, then them being cancelled at the very last minute. Like, is it difficult to stay mentally sharp and focused at a time like this? I guess it's, it's as difficult as you're allowed to be. Um, uh, in a sense, everyone's... Um, been impacted by COVID, you know what I mean? But uh, I like to try to stay optimistic and say, and especially me coming from the injury, for me, it's beautiful that I get to train, that I get to play. If that's going to be three weeks from now, two weeks from now, if that means the schedule is going to be cramped and we have three games and then, you know, a week, whatever, that for me is all beautiful. I'm, I'm glad to, to be playing football, you know what I mean? And, and to be healthy first and foremost. So, yeah, I guess it, it's impacted a lot, but... It, it impacts you as much as you allow it to impact you, is, is what I'll say on that. So, this final question for Ivan before we say goodbye. Yeah, I just wanted to ask about your time at uh, Dinamo Zagreb. Obviously, they're such a famous club known for producing, you know, unbelievably talented players. Luka Modric, obviously, the kind of cream of the crop. But I wanted to know, three years there, it must have been, you know, a bit of a shock, a bit of a change from Australia. Was there any big life lessons that you learned or any, yeah, big shocks that you had that you were like, Okay, wow, this is this is a different level. And we know the Croats yeah. are crazy, Ivan. We can say yeah. that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're we're crazy. Yeah, we're crazy for sure. Um you, you pose a great question, and I'm glad you posed that question because I really get that question. But that was a very memorable time in my life, obviously. And a big credit to I, I give to Dinamo and to my time in, in Zagreb um for being who I am today as a man and as on and off the field. Uh, the biggest thing that I learned or that, that I gained from over there was, I guess it's unfortunate in, in a sense, but in, in the world of football, it's uh, killed or be killed. And I know that's pretty explicit, but, you know, I rocked up to that change room and, and I spoke the language. Okay, when I got there, it was a bit shonky, but, you know, I, I, I knew well enough, but they, they wouldn't speak to you. They didn't care about you. You know, they're, you know here we're so loving. We'll bring players in and that's great. I, I'm I'm glad that Australian clubs are like that, but over there, they didn't. They 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 perceived it as you're gonna you're trying to take our spot, and rightly so. So they you know if they wouldn't give you the ball at the start, whatnot. And to be fair, I respect all that. I can understand their mentality there. Um, so I had to pull something more out of me, and I had to drive deep, uh, dig deeper, and and ultimately become one of them in, in that in that sense, and uh, stand up for myself. So I learned a lot of resilience over there. But in saying, uh, as a school, as, as a footballing academy, the players there, all the coaches there, I can only say the best about them. Um, they uh, play a huge role in my life. Like I said, on and off the field, I'm very grateful for the time I had over there. Very fun memories over there. Oh, Ivan, I wish we could keep you on to talk more about that because it seems as though you've got some awesome stories to tell. Unfortunately, we have run uh, out of time. 
But what I will say is thank you so much for making the time to chat to us. I think it's great to see you back playing mm. football, doing what you do best, scoring goals. It's going to be, you know, another headache for Roods to have to consider, you know, factoring everybody into this team lineup now. Um, but we're all delighted that you're back and, and, and doing what you love. So thank you again. And we wish you all the very best for the season and also for the game against Perth on the weekend, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, great to see Ivan Vujica there. Um, such a nice guy, really, really nice yeah. guy there. And um, and I'm really glad that you asked him that question, Solich, because it seems as though he's got a lot to offer uh, on that experience. And it seems as though whenever we get players that come back from overseas, they always treat it as a humbling experience because, as yeah. Ivan just said there, you're going over there. It's it's dog-eat-dog, dog, man. They're going to be worried about their positions. They don't want new players coming into the team because they don't see it as this is more for the camaraderie. Actually, no, this is a threat to me and my livelihood. And football is everything to Europeans over there and as I said before the Croatians are, are crazy but football lovers in general are crazy so it's not easy being over in Europe. Yeah and, he, and that can be the culture shock not only of going there but you know for the players that have spent 10, 15, 20 years when they come back to the A-League whether it's as a coach or a player they can have a reverse culture shock where they're kind of uh, you know like Yvonne was saying that they're kind of surprised at how nice everything is and how it's not as cutthroat, not as aggressive every single day. And that can be a challenge for them that they have to overcome because, you know, you have to deal with it in different ways. So it's very interesting. Uh, I really like asking about what it's like to work on the Dinmo. Remember Daniel Georgievsky when he was on, he told us a story yeah. of how they told him, listen, you don't know how to play football. Like, you, you haven't learned how to play football. We'll teach you how to play football here. Don't worry. Relearn everything. So, you know, I think that is and, – and listen, they can say that because they have produced some of the best players in the history of the game. So, Ooh, yeah. For, but they've also demonised some of the best players in the history of the game as well. I mean, yeah. you only have to mention what happened to Luka Modric on his way out of the yeah. club there. They basically ran him out of town, but he's still a celebrated figure there. But that's football as we know it. And um, quite the opposite, actually, of aggressive and cutthroat is our next guest, a delightful human being. We love having careful, her on the <laughs> I'm sure she could be cutthroat and aggressive if she needed to be, but Samantha Lewis, I think you're actually quite the opposite of cutthroat and aggressive. I can't actually see you on my screen there, and I'm not sure if she can see us. We might have um we might have experienced some technical difficulties. Nope, here she is. You had the chance yesterday before we talk about the W League. Um, you had the chance yesterday to catch up with Matilda's coach Tony Gustafson in a press conference. It looks as though our question's coming through to you, thankfully. Tell us what is a snapshot of some of the things that you took away from his discussion? Because I know it's still early doors and he's only literally just finished up his role um, overseas. Yeah, so, I mean, thank God the internet, I think, is finally working now. Um, yeah, so uh, Tony Gustafsson has only been in his new job as Matilda's head coach uh, since the start of the month, so about 20 days. Um, and in that time, what he's been doing is pretty much introductions with everybody who he's going to be working with over the next four years. So he's been setting up a whole bunch of Zoom calls with uh, Football Australia staff and also one-on-one -on -one interviews with all of the contracted Matildas as well, just asking them where they're at in their own lives, what their aspirations are, what they're looking forward to over the next four years um, and doing some some, some very vague uh, COVID-depending planning, I think. So um, the majority of his comments, I think, were um, pretty standard. They were really reflective of um, his opening remarks when he was first announced as Matilda's head coach. Um, he's really, really looking forward to um, getting to work with all the players, you know, 
everything sort of came with the caveat of COVID. Um, you know, we're wanting hopefully to organise some uh, some team camps over the next three international windows leading into the Tokyo Olympics in July. But borders depending, safety protocols depending, um, nothing has been locked in yet. But some of the things that he did say was that he has been watching the W League, uh, which is really exciting. And amongst, and amongst doing everything else that he's had to do over in Sweden, um, he's been watching as much W League as he can. And he's so far, he seems to be quite impressed. Um, hopefully, he's going to get uh, have more opportunities to watch more games over the course of the season. But he has a number of uh, little birds here in Australia who have been going to games and writing reports and, and sending information back to him. So he's well across everything that's happening here in Australia. Um, and at the moment, I think what they're wanting to do is try to organise um, a couple of team camps and as many friendlies, international friendlies as possible for Australia to compete in against the best possible opposition. So literally just looking at the world rankings and saying them, them, them. We want to play them, even if we get smashed, because it means that they're going to be thrown back into the deep end because the Matildas haven't been together since March of last year. You know, when yeah. we qualified for the Olympics, this is, this will be the first time that they get together. And so they really need to plan really well in order to use the time that they do have together really effectively. Are we going to get that time, Sam? Um, before I throw over to Stolich for questions, I mean, I, I had the chance yesterday to catch up with a hugely inspiring Indigenous volleyballer. She's also an Olympian, but the first Indigenous Australian to represent us for volleyball at the 2016 um, uh, Olympics in Rio, which is just remarkable. But I asked her what her communications have been like with the IOC and have they heard anything about whether or not the Olympics are going to go ahead? And she said, look, they're throwing everything at it that they possibly can. What they're telling us is that they want this to go ahead. They'll do everything thing in their power to make sure that it goes ahead because there is so much at stake but you know from our football side of things and, and from our perspective Sam are you getting the sense that we can be optimistic that the Olympics are going to go ahead or do we just not have any choice but to be? I mean I, I think it will go ahead I'm pretty optimistic that it will um, but, but because simply because there is just too much money involved in the Olympics for it not to happen uh, too many billions of dollars have been spent, not just by Japan and by the city of Tokyo, but by broadcasters around the world as well in order to, you know, have this tour this, this competition go ahead. So I think it will. Um, I think what will is still probably up in the air is whether or not crowds will be allowed in. Um, mm -hmm. if anything, I think what we'll see is a, a bubble situation happening where athletes will fly over to Japan and they will have to quarantine and they will only get to go to their specific events. Things will be socially distanced, all that sort of stuff, um, and crowds won't be allowed into any of the stadiums. So I think that that will be the most likely scenario, but it is going to be pretty difficult for football because the football tournament um, is quite different when it comes to the Olympics. The football tournament is usually staged across a number of different cities or a number of different areas. And so trying to keep athletes uh, safe when there's so much travel involved in so many different environments, I think is a whole different kettle of fish. Um, but I'm sure that in the same way that we saw uh, Football Australia tell the AFC um, last year when the coronavirus had just started to emerge from Wuhan that the Matildas were not comfortable going to China to play in those qualification games. I'm sure that Football Australia, if they feel that it's unsafe, won't put our athletes at risk. 
So it's over to you. We're going to get on to our W League wrap, but some questions for Sam. And, of course, the snapshots are that City have finally turned it around. Um, and, and what a game to turn it around in in the derby, but so much controversy, unfortunately, surrounding that. And you wrote a piece in The Guardian which you can elaborate on. But the Sky Blues are on top of the table. The Jets drew with a draw. And we've also just caught up with you for that update on Matilda's coach, Tony Gustafsson. So, Stolich, over to you to get the uh, the rest of the snapshots from Sam. Yeah, well, just one thing on the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, I agree with everything that you just said, Sam, but look how difficult it is to get a tennis tournament uh, going down in Melbourne and all these players coming through. And, you know, you got you just got to think about, even if there's no fans in the Olympics, to get so many of those athletes coming from all over the world, all the quarantine, all the hotels that will need to be, I don't know, the fingers crossed it's going to happen. But, yeah, it just seems like an absolute... I feel very sorry for the organisers because I would not want to be dealing with that. Um, but on to uh, the W League. Uh, Sam, two questions for you for the Melbourne Derby. First, how did City turn it around going from losing 6-0 to winning 3-2 a week later? And secondly, talk to us uh-huh. about the bottle-throwing incident, um, you know, the absolutely ridiculous from uh, those supporters who did that, but just your thoughts on that whole kind of situation. Yeah. So we'll start with the game first. The game was absolutely sensational. It was a really fantastic derby game. It's exactly the kind of derby game that you want. Uh, Melbourne City uh, came into the the second second leg of the derby, I guess you could say, off the back of their uh, their 6-0 smashing. They came into it with a little bit of a, a different formation. They moved a couple of different players around. Uh, so, for example, Jenna McCormick, who had played on the right side of the back three, was moved into the centre, um, and she was really, really solid there. And I think yeah, having yeah. that leadership and that physicality there really gave a lot of confidence to the rest of the field. Uh, we saw Alex Chidiak start for her yeah. first game back in wow. What a start. What a start. And she was incredible. She opened the scoring for Melbourne City, and she contributed to, uh, to the next two goals in some way as well, particularly her assist for... The winner by Harriet Withers in uh, towards the end of the, the second half. That was just an amazing sort of slalom run and a, a little, a delightful little through pass for, for Withers to get her debut goal in the W League. So that was fantastic. Um, and I think sort of more generally, Rada Vidisic said um, both after the the, the the big loss and after their win uh, on the weekend that he wanted his team to just show a little bit more aggression a little bit more energy, a little bit more fight. And I think they absolutely did that. You could see that for the vast majority of the game, I think they they were they really matched Melbourne victory and, and victory, I think, were um, taken aback, particularly in the first half after they went 2-0 down. But then they came back with two absolutely cracking goals themselves. Yeah. Melinda Barbieri <laughs> scored that ridiculous free kick. Um, and then... Uh, Zimmerman as well. Zimmerman scored a, a fantastic sort of turn and volley. Like it was just, it was ridiculous. The, the, the amount of insane goals that we've seen over the course of the, f- the first four rounds of the W League has just been incredible. I can't imagine why people think that it's boring. I feel like we've seen more interesting and amazing goals in the W League than we have in the A League, even though the A League has seen that, has that, had their fair share of them as well. well um, there's and this talk actually just on that, that the ball yeah. is a bit different this year. And that, so you're seeing kind of more. Uh, strikes from range and, and the players are really the, the outfield players are responding well i think the goalkeepers are a little pissed off but you know that's fine <laughs> me more goals i don't care about the goalkeepers <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think on top of that 
um, because we are starting to see some of those sensational goals being scored, more and more players perhaps are taking more chances yeah. and having a go, you know, having yeah. a real crack and, and actually seeing them go in. So it's sort of a, a snowballing effect, I feel like, when, when it comes to this sort of stuff, which is great because it's really great for both of the leagues, you know, because people want to watch yeah. amazing goals being scored. So, so yeah, true. so the... The, uh, the 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 Melbourne Derby was incredible, um, but it but. was turned. Yeah, that's a very very big but. It was, it became quite sour um, towards the end of the match when there was a glass bottle thrown by Melbourne Victories, some of Melbourne Victories active supporters. Uh, the bottle was thrown by uh, one of the fans who was wearing, I believe, a T-shirt that uh, affiliated them with an A-League active group in Melbourne. Um, so this is a group of A-League fans who have come to the W-League and they've brought, you know, they've brought banners and, and things like that. And for the vast majority of the game, they were great. They were singing, they were chanting, they were clapping, they were getting the crowd involved. The players were really responding to it as well. Um, this is what I wrote uh, about for The Guardian. You know, the, when the Melbourne Victory scored their two goals, the, the scenes behind the goal with, with these fans was amazing. Like yeah. they were really... They were really excited about it all. They were cheering. It was wonderful. But it just got to a point where the the sort of the toxic culture that I think A-League a Active Support in particular has had a problem with for a while started to seep into the W-League. Um, we saw the bottle that was thrown by the Victory fans at Tegan Micah, the Melbourne City goalkeeper, after City went 3-2 up. Um, it missed her, thank God. I don't know what would have happened if it had hit her and she had been injured, I think that would have been horrifying. Um, I know that reports well, have been Alex, filed Alex, by Alex, Melbourne City. Alex Sivkarovsky, one of our top fans, and apologies, guys, we have had an issue with our Facebook stream connecting to our platform here, so that's why I'm not bringing your comments up. But Alex Sivkarovsky has said ban them for life. I think whether it hit her or not, they should be banned for life, Sam. I don't think there should be any discussions about that. If you engage in that type of behaviour, get them out of the game. That's not football and that is not active support. Mm, active yeah. support is when you show your passion, your commitment and your glory and your pride for your football club via chanting, singing, drumming, whatever, flares. Hey, I'm a flare advocate and I know that a lot of people <laughs> would be telling me not to be in this country, but that to me is active support, not fighting, not getting drunk and beating the shit out of each other or potentially throwing objects at players on a football field. That is not active support. Yeah, completely agree. Um, like it's not active support in the A-League. In the W-League, you know. I, I don't think that behaviour is acceptable anywhere, regardless of the gender of the players on the field. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, it, it was it was just such a shame because active support in the W League has been growing. Um, off to the side mm -hmm. of that group of guys were the, the Victory Vikings, who are the, the women's specific active group who've started up in the last couple of years. And they had their banners there. They had a rainbow flag. They had their own chants for the players, all the sort of stuff that we love to see in football. But their their contributions were just completely drowned out by by these other fans who came in in order to really just to sort of posture um, and to take the limelight away from others. And that's sort of what disappointed me most, I think, was that they didn't, you know, this group of, of A-League fans who came in to the W-League game, they didn't even really seem to care about the fact that they were stealing the thunder of the group who had been working so hard over the last few seasons to show these players that they really care. They didn't even seem to, to collaborate or anything like that. Yeah, you know? Why not join them? And, and, yeah. and 
hijack it and, um, you know, make it a really collaborative process because then it becomes about the supporters versus it being about the football club, which is what active support to me represents. You're not bigger than your football club and if you act like an ass, get out. You know, there are going to be other supporters that will come in that will behave themselves, that will respect everybody whilst they're at the ground um, and that do, do deserve a place in the stadium. So it's really sad to see. Um, Sam, before we have to say goodbye to you begrudgingly, um, I want to ask you, tell us, I know it's still early doors in the W League, but tell us someone that's really impressed you and a club that we really need to keep an eye on at this stage. Oh, God, Lucy, why would you ask me this? Um, <laughs> uh, what about who... Rojas at Adelaide United? She's been amazing. Cote, right. Well, actually, I was I was going to pick a player from Adelaide, funnily enough. Uh, the player who has really, really impressed me over the, the first four rounds has actually been Emily Condon. Uh, okay. Some people may recognise that name. She was called up to the Senior Matildas uh, in 2018 to the, at the Algarve Cup in Portugal. That was her first and only ever senior cap. Uh, she's still only 22 years old and she's been involved in and around national team conversations for quite a while. Um, but Emily Condon, I think, has been incredible for Adelaide in midfield. She's sort of their number eight slash ten. Um, and she's incredibly athletic. She's really smart on the ball. She's already their leading goal scorer. Um, she's set up a whole bunch of amazing chances. And she just seems to be sort of emerging into the kind of player that I think Adelaide has needed her to be for a while. And because of that, I think Adelaide is probably the club that we do need to keep an eye on because from the games that they've played so far against Perth, and granted, Perth uh, are quite under strength and they came in rather underprepared to the season, but Adelaide just look really good. They look really, really good this season. They have quality all across the park. They look like they know exactly what they're doing. Everyone knows their role. They're unpredictable. They're very well balanced. They're very well balanced this exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're really, really well balanced. Everyone seems to know what they're doing. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Adelaide continues on their path. And if they make the top four, I won't be surprised either. Woohoo! All right, we're going to hold you to that. I'll make sure that we get the guys to record that little snapshot and we're going to play it back to you towards the back end of the WLE season just to be some real smart asses. Sam Lewis, we love having you on the show. We wish we had more time for you. That's how I feel about all of our guests, quite frankly, because now we're <laughs> Not enough. And Stolich, quite frankly, you and I still have a hell of a lot to get through as well. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. There's still a lot more to talk about. But, Sam, it's always, as I said, so great to catch up with you. Keep up your fantastic work. Of course, Samantha contributes to a whole host of, um, you know, broadcasters like us here at SBS, but also is a writer, an exceptional writer over at The Guardian. She contributes to the World Game here. She does stuff for Optus Sports. So you cannot miss her content. It's unique. It's on the money. And it is as good as you will get anywhere around the world. Thank you so much, Sam Lewis. Great to see you. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, everyone. Woo! Love your stuff, Sam Lewis. Yep. Thank you to her for joining us. <laughs> uh, and finally, her internet connection got up and running at, yeah. at the crucial moment when we needed her to deliver uh, the most. Um, I want to move on. Oh, big game player. She always is. We love our Sam Lewis. Now, we've covered off the W League. Now it's time to cover off the A League. Now, we mentioned mm. that result between Western Sydney and Central Coast earlier on, of course, uh, Western Sydney able to bring back the three points. Uh, but Perth season finally is kicking off tonight. They're taking on Adelaide. So many press releases coming through from the glory because they, I'm sure, just as everybody else is over in Western Australia, are just delighted to be able to get things off the mark finally. Uh, the Jets are also in action uh, against Brisbane. And 
And uh, reflecting back in hindsight, MacArthur, they defeated the Jets in a, in a very controversial match. Would love to hear from our viewers on how you viewed that incident um, with respect to the handball. I thought it was just farcical. I don't care what the rules say, and I disagree with what a lot of people had to say about it when it came to that. But um, would love to hear in the comments section, particularly from our Facebookers. As I said, our stream has just been down here, unfortunately. We'll look to, to get that back up and running, but I am able to see what some of you are saying. And um, the Sydney Derby stalemate. Can we actually start with the Sydney Derby mm. stalemate, Stolich? Because, I mean, one of your biggest gripes last week, I believe in your bad news, was the fact that we weren't able to have full capacity stadiums, no thanks to the wretched COVID-19 pandemic. But um, we had a fan that was actually at the game that provided some feedback about what it was like to be in there. And I think it was pretty troubling, to say the least, before we cover off the actual game itself. Yeah, so just on this, I mean, the Sydney Derby is my favourite sporting event of the year, I think, in, in Australia to attend. And the atmosphere is what makes that the best thing. It's usually a fantastic, from both sets of supporters, from the uh, Wanderers yeah. supporters, from the Sydney FC supporters, it's fantastic. Where Whether it's been, you know, when it was the game at Parramatta um, that uh, Wanderers won 1-0, I love that. Whether it was the game um, out at Jubilee, which I think the Wanderers won 1-0 as well, but just fantastic atmosphere. But so I asked a uh, mate of mine, because I didn't go, this time because you know there was a limit on how many people could go and also you know i thought maybe the atmosphere wasn't going to be as good so and i asked him it seemed like it was pretty poor watching on tv and he said yeah it was very bad i took my kids for the first time because i knew it was going to be dead i sat in the rbb was shit house wasn't allowed to stand and chant not even allowed to stand and hold my 10 month old daughter without being told to sit down like what well, come on what are we doing what, what is the security doing that? Damn right? businessman i yeah. just don't understand it. Like, like, like COVID only exists from, you know, a metre 87 up or whatever. I don't know. It's ridiculous, right? Then he said um, had to wear a mask the whole time. He said he found a loophole, so you just had to hold a hot chip in your hands for 90 <laughs> minutes because you don't need a mask if you're eating or drinking, which, you know, for most people, they're eating and drinking the whole match. So the whole mask thing is ridiculous. Atmosphere was non-existent. Too many restrictions on us bringing in drums and flags, which to me, again, why is there a restriction on bringing in drums and flags? That doesn't spread COVID. That makes noise. That generates atmosphere. So they should be allowed to bring their drums. They should be allowed to bring their flags. Um, biggest cheer from us was when Braddon slipped over taking the corner down our end, which, you know, it's funny, but, you know. <laughs> Um, over-policed cops walking up and down the aisles constantly. A couple of people got kicked out for standing up. By far the worst derby atmosphere ever. So that's what he said. And you know, let us know in the comments. Let us know, you know, if you were there. But that's such a shame because, you know, it is meant to be our showpiece event. And, you know, it was on free-to-air, I think, for like one of the first times ever on ABC, and that would have been a great place to showcase it. But, you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't the best game on the field. The pitch was an issue. I don't like Stadium Australia. I think it's bad for football. I know we've had some of our greatest ever moments there. Asian Cup, 2005, John Aloisi. But it's bad for these types of fixtures. Yeah, yeah, that's it, right? I don't like it being played at the stadium there. I don't. It's just not built for football. It's just not a well-designed stadium for football. So that to me was a big, big shame. Uh, I I understand the circumstances. COVID doesn't make it easy. The government only lets you allowed to do certain things. And, and this is, I think, from my understanding, this is more the, the government is saying you have to wear a mask, you have to do this, you can't stand up. And I believe the clubs, I believe the clubs are the ones saying, I don't understand why the ban against drums 
and flags. I don't understand how that would spread COVID in any way, shape, or form. You should be allowing that into football. And, you know, that to me is what makes a really good atmosphere. Well, let's be honest. They're just uh, the, the regulators are just using this as an opportunity to, to suffocate football again. I mean, these types of issues, I'm sorry, these existed pre-COVID, okay? Mm. We always hear about fans being kicked out because they were standing up, because they were, you know, showing more elaborate signs of supportership for their football club than what people were at the AFL and NRL. No, yeah, just- you should be kicked out for being yeah. silent. You That's just sit there and get pissed and then, you know, hurl abuse every now and again. You know, I just I think that this again comes down to the lack of understanding of what football supporters actually look like, what culture we kind of represent when it comes to active support. And I'm saying good active support, not bottle throwing yes. support. Kick those people out of the game and never let them back in again. I couldn't care less, right? But for the people who want to be there with their families, I understand that COVID is in action. But what difference can I ask respect respectfully of all of our medical professionals and advisors in this, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I just want to ask the damn question. What difference is it going to make if I'm standing on a chair wearing a mask, chanting and singing, or if I'm sitting in a chair wearing a mask, chanting and singing, right? Because my understanding is it's still going to be transmissible either way. And if we're not completely practicing social distancing, then of course people are going to contract it. So I I just can't understand the logic. Sometimes it feels like people are making these rules up on the fly. But in this instance, I feel like it's just been designed with respect to the Sydney Derby to stifle active support once again. Correct me if I'm wrong for the powers that be that might be listening, but I just don't like hearing these types of things. And this is from a very rational, logical fan. This isn't from somebody that goes that goes to games and causes trouble. This is someone that was there with their 10-month-old child, for goodness mm. sake. So yeah. it's just really weird. Um, I can't get bogged down in this because we've still got a hell of a lot to get through. Um, the MacArthur defeat, uh, well, the Jets defeat, should I say, um, to MacArthur. I mean, great to see that MacArthur have made a shining start to this A-League season. But um, their, their controversy didn't only involve what happened on the field. And I'd love to hear from everybody, for those of you particularly tuning in via Facebook, was it a penalty or wasn't it a penalty? Um, that seems to be the major sticking point. The rules are, as it stipulates, that that is not a penalty, right, because of the incident and how it happened. Now, had the player been able to clear the ball correctly, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. But in my view, the fact that it was able to give them an advantage and if the ball had gone past him it would have been through to a Jets player and he would have been clear on goal that to me I think it has to be reviewed case by case in these situations I think the rules and regulations around what is a handball and what isn't um, they're far too rigid and they're not applicable to the modern day game as as far as I'm concerned Stolich but one of the other things that really was drawn into sharp focus now was MacArthur's ticket prices now a lot of people had expressed some great concern over this particularly via Twitter Magic Milosh FC at David Schooner. This occurred over Twitter. He said, Sydney FC versus MacArthur. Cheapest tickets are $45. What the hell? Away active are $50. And they tweeted Danny Townsend and said, this is just insane. Danny Townsend, for those of you that don't know, of course, is the CEO at Sydney FC. He said, gents, I share your discord. I've raised my concerns with the club directly, and it is clear they want to use the COVID-limited seats to fill with their own fans. And if any of ours are willing to pay a premium to attend, they don't seem to care. This is the part that really was upsetting. Watch on KO or at the Star Sydney. 
Now, why that's upsetting is because we want our fans coming to our games. And the fact that we're in a situation where you've got a football club that are trying to raise prices to either capitalise on the fact that this pandemic is happening or because, as Danny said, they want more of their own fans in there, that's taking away from the magic of the derby and the damn purpose of the derby in the first place. So I just find it a little bit bizarre that we've ended up in this scenario, again, where we're talking about their shameful ticket prices, Stolich. Yeah. And listen, I'll just quickly say, uh, to be positive to them, uh, they scored a very nice goal in uh, Puyo when he scored against Newcastle. And it's great, great to see Matt Dabish, uh, uh get off the mark as well because I think uh, his movement has been good, so good to see him. So MacArthur on the field, not too bad. Off the field, I have big, big problems with the way that they've acted. They had the largest uh, membership price for the Sydney teams. They were they were more expensive than Sydney FC, the cheapest membership option. They were, more, they were nearly double, I think even more than double, the cheapest Wanderers option, right? They're charging their active. Initially, they were charging their active – their own active support, $440. They dropped that down to $335 when not enough people were picking it up, but still ridiculously expensive. Um, you know, their, their crowd so far, uh, I've got it here, They 20,000 capacity stadium. So don't tell me, oh, well, you know, COVID, you can only have so many people because they haven't even hit their capacity even under the COVID restrictions. 4,500 in their first game against the Mariners, 2,600 against the Knicks. So they're talking about, oh, we want to let our fans in. What fans? You've barely got any fans so far. You haven't built a fan base. You, you, bear, you know, let anyone who wants to come into the ground come at this point. And not only that, if I'm MacArthur, I want the Sydney FC fans in there. So if MacArthur wins, you can give it to the Sydney FC fans. That's what a derby is all about. So I think it's ridiculous that it costs $50. I know that it, it, they're not the only ones who have done it in the past. You know, some teams have made away fans pay more. Uh, I think 20 is plenty is a good rule. $20 to sit in the away end should be enough. Listen, you can put them wherever you want in the stadium, but $20 should be the maximum there. Uh, but, yeah, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, in, in saying all that, I, I told a friend of mine that they were charging $50, and one of my friends goes, well, man, they paid $2 million for a house in the East. They can pay the 50 bucks." But we know that, <laughs> hey, it was pretty funny, and I understand the mentality, but... You know, I think uh, I think it's unacceptable, and it really, really annoys me because I know that it's hard to convince people sometimes to go to the A League. Sometimes I say to my friends, "Hey, do you want to go?" And they go, "Okay, how much prices?" And I'd be like, "Oh, cheapest adult is like 30. And they'll be like, mm, nah. So if it's going to be 50, like you're not going to get many people well, making the trip. Factor in parking, factor in if you want to get yourself a couple of yep. beers and hot chips. Yep. Hot chips will cost you $19 as it stands. And they um, suck. I of course, they do. Yeah. I like this comment from Ben Johnson, though. Let's add a bit of perspective yeah. in here. Yes, but from that comment, MacArthur are looking out for their own fans. They don't have an obligation to look after fans of other clubs. On the flip side, when their fans travel away, they should expect to be charged a premium also. Wouldn't that be great if all the other A-League clubs now yeah, started but... charging MacArthur fans $50? But the point to that, Ben, and I mean, I, I get it, you know, MacArthur are looking after their own fans because they want more of their fans there. But then again, you can't call it a derby. The reason why we love a derby is because of the atmosphere that you get from that and the sky blue the, the cove supporters are fantastic yeah. you know that's why we love the, the original sydney derby because of what we yeah. get from both sydney fc and wanderer supporters we want to see that replicated here but you're not really going to allow for that in this scenario. It would be great if someone from MacArthur could reach out to us and let us know just why they've gone down that path because, I mean, I, w I want to see this football club do well. They've come into the competition. Yeah. I've got so much love for Ante Milicic. I think he's a great coach and, and so much to offer. And I think their squad is looking really good. They've, they've got a lot to offer from a football perspective. But off the field, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not loving those decisions. Stolich, I'm not. 
Ab- absolutely not. And I, know, I understand what Benny's saying, but that would make sense to me if there were 20,000 MacArthur fans who all want to go and they're all like, we have to be there. We got to be. Yeah, but you're not 4,000 people and 2,000. You got 2,000 people against the Mariners. All right. Let's just relax with, oh, you know, we're, we're making it free from If they sell out this Sydney Derby without the Sydney FC fans, whatever, if they sell it out, then I'll eat my humble pie. But they're not going to sell it out. They're making mistakes off the field and it's costing them and it's costing the league long term. I do have a recipe for humble pie. In fact, I've had to make it for myself many times over the course of my journalism career. Get used to the taste. If I pull it out, you'll be ready to eat it, okay? Let's move on. on. We've still got a heck of a lot to get through, of course. We've had a jam-packed show as always. Aussies abroad, Stolich, let's come to you on this one. Daniel Arzani's future at Utrecht is certainly well on the ropes. Graham Arnold has called Matty Ryan's Brighton woes. Worrying Sam Kerr misfires for Chelsea, but they were still able to get the result against Manchester United. And Jackson Irvine impresses on debut. His coach actually quite surprised by the fact he was able to play 70 minutes after being out of football for so long. And Xanthi FC, Tony Popovich's love child over in the Greek second division, they're finally off the blocks. Their season has started. So much going on abroad. But let's start off with Daniel Arzani, please. We spoke yeah. about him pretty pretty intently last week. And um, here we are again talking about him. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I just I stand by the comments that I made last week. I'm very worried about this young kid's career. I think that, you know, D- Graham Arnold has pretty much encouraged him to come home to get some game time in the A-League. I'm pretty against that the, the whole concept of that. I think, you know, he's got a brighter future overseas if he can get some game time at a football club. But coming back to the A-League, that only serves Graham Arnold because Graham Arnold wants to be put into a situation where he can pick him, right? Yeah. And I don't know that he can pick him if he's not playing. Stolich? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a big concern. And we have some breaking news. You know, This is a report from Dave Lewis on our website. AGF lead the chase for Arzani as Utrecht okay. exit. Denmark could be the next destination for Daniel Arzani with Super League aside AGF Arros seeking the hand the so- seeking to hand the Socceroos attacker an escape from his Eredivisie purgatory at FC Utrecht. What a what an intro from uh, Dave Lewis wow, there. Wow, hello. It, it looks like um, Arzani at least he's going to get an offer um, from AGF. I don't listen. He needs to play. If they're going to give him, you know, game time, 90 minutes, that's great. And if that's his best option, he should take it because I personally believe that 90 minutes in Denmark is probably better for him um, just to have more games. It's, it's probably it's probably slightly higher than Australia, um, the A-League, but not that much more. Um, but, yeah, so I, I just wonder, coming back to the A-League, I know a lot of people are calling for it and it would be great to see him every week. I love Daniel Arzani as a player. But I just wonder, you know, are there enough games in the A-League? I think mean, there's only 27. Although in saying that, they're halfway through the uh, Danish season, so you might be playing the same amount of games. But ideally I think he stays in Europe because um, it is a high level of football and that's where he wants to be. Um, but if he does come back to the A-League, then that's great as well, and that gives him a chance to – he just needs to play, and he just needs to get somewhere where he's confident. But I would prefer him playing uh, in Europe where I think he would probably get a slightly better level of coaching, hopefully. I think he will, and I think it will be better for his development as a player. I mean, if we want to talk about how bright a prospect he is and, and what he could go on and do for this national team, I'm sorry, but we just need to see more from the kid, all right? And 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 what we have been – able to see has been impressive. I'm, I'm not going to take away from that, but it's not at a consistent level. So we need to go from a wing and a prayer now to actually seeing some tangible minutes on a football field and building up that level of experience. Um, you know, like I said last week, and I, and I stand by it, I, I'm concerned for his career. 
because oh, I don't yeah. think it's, I don't think it's necessarily going the way that he wanted it to. And a lot of footballers will say that none of their careers have gone the way that they've wanted to. But at least you know they've been able to amass some experience and some and some game time. He's had a rough trot, of course, because he came back from injury and injury that took a lot longer than he mm. would have hoped and and liked for him to recover from. But at, at this point. He's just got to sign somewhere and he's got to play some football. Um, but, again, as I said, I, I don't necessarily know that uh, coming back to the A-League is going to be the best thing for him. Stolich, yeah. um, let's uh, quickly cover off also the fact now that Xanthi, uh, you know, Tony Popovich's project, of course, it's the all-Australian takeover effectively. That's how the Greek papers are viewing it. Um, but for them, uh, a positive start? Yeah, I mean, well, they, they got a 1-1 draw. Uh, they conceded an own goal in the very last minute, um, which was a shame. Uh, but Josh Berlante scored. Um, he was, I think, the Josh Berlante started the game, and I believe Yerman came off the bench. Um, but no, Paul Izzo, I don't know if he's injured. Um, and McCowett, who's obviously a Kiwi, but played for Wellington last season, he wasn't. I think he was on the bench. Um, but so, yeah, so interesting to see how they go. Obviously, Popper's there, Zelko Kalach is there. So we'll keep an eye on them. But uh, yeah, maybe not the ideal start they would have wanted in terms of the 1-1 draw, but hopefully a sign of more positive things. Positive start in the way that they've actually got the season up and running over there because there's been so much doubt and conjecture, mm-hmm. no thanks to COVID, on when it would get going. But a lot of our Aussies deployed over there, so we hope that they go well. Moving on to the next headline item and making headlines in this one. This one will be very painful and very bitter for you to have to discuss, but Barcelona, they lost the Supercopa de España final to Athletic Bilbao. Great achievement for Athletic Bilbao. But um, the big question for the Catalans is where to now? Where to now for the Blaugrana after? To this Messi sensationally uh, being sent off after lashing out. And you can understand why he lashed out. The poor guy's been copying it his whole career and he was frustrated. They were down at that point. Um, you know, it was it was going to be another trophy that they could have added to their cabinet and it would have been an important one given how difficult it's been for Barca. But uh, your reaction being our resident Barca apologist was what exactly? Well, just kind of typical of where the team is at at the moment. Um, you know, I thought it was a, it was a really good game. Um, but yeah, you know, you saw the best and worst of Jordi Alba. You see him here yeah. setting up uh, Barca's first goal. He also set up the second goal, and you know, but he's also at fault for the two goals as well. Yeah, so fault, yeah. it it just kind of sums up how Barcelona is at the moment. They have moments of brilliance where you go, oh, this team's great. You know, they can do so much damage. Um, I thought Pedri had a poor game, and listen, he's very young. You don't want to kind of hammer him too much, but. He's actually become such an important player for Barcelona. And that says more about Barcelona that they're relying on this 18-year-old kid so much. And when he has a, when he struggles to perform, uh, you know, Barca struggled to create a lot of chances outside of going wide to Jordi Alba. So, you know, I think it was a magnificent performance from Athletic Club. Um, you know, anyone who doesn't know their story, they only use players from the Basque region. They don't sign any international players. They don't even sign players from other parts of Spain. So they've never been relegated in the history of Spanish football. So for them to win another trophy, their 35th in their, uh, you know, history is incredible. And it shows you uh, what can be done with good coaching. They've just brought in Marcelino, who's done a fantastic uh, job. They were very well organized, playing on the break, you know, getting in Yucky Williams uh, involved. Uh, Ike Munyain is a fantastic talent as well. So it was great, but very disappointing from a Barcelona perspective. Again, more pressure comes on uh, Kuman. The only positive that you could say is uh, possibly uh, that Griezmann scored two goals and finally is starting to look like he's comfortable at Barcelona. But that's not because he's rising to Barcelona's level. It's because Barcelona is re- being reduced. <laughs> 
You can't say that. That's not fair. I think that Griezmann is a fantastic footballer. I loved what he did at Atletico. And we always thought that he had a brighter future ahead of him at one of the clubs. But it just, it seems to me that Barca, along with the likes of Real Madrid, I'm not just going to, you know, put you guys in this category of the poison chalice at the moment, which is really quite disappointing. Hassan Bertan, one of our top fans here at the World Game Live. Great to have your company via Facebook, mate. Welcome back to the show. Kuman has to go. Bring in Xavi. Ben Johnson. I would love it. Yeah, you would love you know it. What? Chavi, Chavi, outside, at top of the table, they're scoring all these goals. They're, they're killing everyone. But one thing I'll say is I think they have, like, the biggest budget by far in Qatar. So yeah, I'm a little hesitant. Qatar, with the greatest of respect. Oh, wait, what did you think on the red card? Did you it's think definitely red card? Did, did I think it's a red card? Yeah. Of course it's a red card. You can't swipe at a footballer like that. I don't like what the defender's done there by any stretch of the imagination, but you cannot swipe at a player like that. If you're going to tell me that that's not a red card, you've drunk the Barca Kool-Aid that far down in your bowels that all you're talking now is absolute shit, my son. All nah, right? I thought I, I it was a red card also, but like definitely. <laughs> I just hope that maybe maybe Lucy will say it. Maybe we can get a bit of doubt. No, in the no. You know well done, Adleti, and look how much it means to them. Oh, that was incredible. I just, what a special yeah. moment for them. Um, a couple of more comments before we move on to our final segment of the show. Bad news, good news. Ben Johnson, Marcelino has made a great start. Shouldn't have been let go by Valencia. Nah, uh, talking about a great team going down. Yeesh. I know, right? And it's such a shame. It's such a yeah. shame. I've always loved a, a Valencia side, uh, particularly great what they've done. Is, yeah, really, I haven't actually been. Is it lovely? Well, beautiful. I mean, that's the thing. I, Matt Ryan, he had a tough time there on the pitch, but I'm telling you, he loved life off the pitch there. Maybe that's why he had a tough time on the pitch because he was having a good time off the pitch. You never know. Nah, he's a great professional. We can't say that about Matty Ryan. Let's move on to the final segment of the show. Great that we could squeeze in some breaking news, of course, about Daniel Arzani. Head to the World Game. uh, The Head to the World Game page. Your internet today. Yeah, my internet's struggling as well, just like Sam Lewis's. Head to the World Game website. That's what it's called. It's yeah. called a website to get all the latest on that. But bad news, good news. We're going to finish that um, uh, for the show and for the week. We want to know, guys, what is your bad news and what is your football good news? Um, mm-hmm. Share them with us now. But Stolich, we'll start with you. What's your bad news? Right, my bad news, obviously, Barca losing. It was another – they needed to win this, I think, for confidence to also, you know, help yeah. keep Messi there. We know that Messi's out of contract at the end of the season. If they'd won, that at least would have given Messi some hope of that do there is a project here. Do you really uh, yeah. think he's going to go? You do? I'm pretty worried now. I'm pretty worried now. It's it's the, These elections are taking forever. They're still not getting in a new president. They keep getting postponed because of COVID. I think this this is – you just saw how frustrated he was, and that's why he lashed out. It's the first time ever he's been sent off for Barcelona. You can feel he's just more frustrated and he's more limited in what he can do this is the simple fact he is declining he's still an amazing amazing player but he doesn't have the speed both the feet the foot speed and both the speed you know to get across the pitch that he once had so can that's I my bad news can i say something controversial i don't think no, he'll go okay <laughs> I don't I don't think he'll go as long as Ronaldo. I really don't. I think that Ronaldo is that obsessed about his strength and conditioning, his fitness, his body and staying in premium shape. I don't know that Messi necessarily has that same level of aptitude and application towards his his body and, and his well-being. Yeah, de- definitely not. But, you know, um, maybe in Italy you can go for longer. We see Zlatan Ibrahimovic doing really well at... Uh, Mario Mandzukic, it's just been reported. He put up on Instagram that he's also signed for AC Milan. 
Gee, that's pretty sad for me, actually. I mean, I know that he was probably forced out of Juve, but, I mean, geez, it's it's pretty rough, isn't it? Now he's coming back to play for AC Milan, one of their rivals. Ah. Uh, in Italy, they do that all the time. You Look at look at uh, R9. He played for AC Milan. He played for Inter Milan. Pirlo played for Inter, AC, and Juventus. So And now he's coaching Juventus. So And Vidal. Vidal, who scored for Inter, used to play for Juventus. So... Man, they, they swap all the time over there. I right? like our mate Gonzalo Higuain, and I remember the the late and great Maradona coming out absolutely appalled, appalled yeah. when he signed for Juve after he left Napoli. It was just the ultimate disgrace for him. So, but anyways, tell us. Okay, so that's your bad yeah. news. What what is your good news? Well, it's kind of two sides of the same coin because actually I have huge respect for Athletic Bilbao and I think they are a wonderful club. And, you know, I talked about, you know, the fact that they use only local players and I I wish more teams did that. I wish teams in, in Berlin and Paris and, and other kind of big football regions around the world did that. But I just want to say what an incredible uh, finish to the game. This guy came off the bench, right? He mm-hmm. scored the equaliser to send it to the 90th minute. Mm-hmm. He was the one who got Messi sent off by doing the dodgy <laughs> run and going and getting hit, and then Messi checked his pulse Check to see pulse. if he was alive. But then to finish it off with getting out your own trumpet and leading the celebrations, here, we got the video. This, to me, was my moment of the week. he's got even me doing it yeah so it gives you goosebumps and and as you said massive respect for them for that um they put in a a very gritty display and i think that you know when you can see another team win it it's also special uh, within that respect as well um you know one item of news that we didn't actually cover which has been a massive one but i'm glad that one of our facebook viewers in hassan bertan has mentioned that good news mesut ozil coming back to turkey after he confirmed his exit now as he's heading off to fernabache uh a very very big announcement uh you'd have to say because this has been such a long, drawn-out process, £617,000 a week, my friend, or dollars. I think that translates to to dollars, pardon me. Um, But, you know, that's a big, big wage to carry for a player that's just sitting on the bench or not even being included. So something happened there at Arsenal, unfortunately, for Mesut Ozil. He's a quality footballer. Um, You know, I think he's been a fabulous advocate for for human rights as well when he has come out and used his platform to speak for the greater good. I think he's been harshly judged. Um, But I think he's somebody that deserves to be on a football field because that is where he does his best work. And for whatever reason, why it didn't work out at Arsenal, we'll never really know the full ins and outs of that one. But um, that is some big news and some news that our fans, of course, are sharing as well. Uh, my bad news this week, I mean, it's not so much bad news that is funny news, but it took place in the W League game between Brisbane Raw and Newcastle Jets. But why it's bad news is because for some of the girls involved, it would have been a very unwelcome surprise when they were walking out on the pitch. Let's take a look. Great to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Newcastle Jets up against Brisbane Raw. And the Sprinklers have taken out a few Jets. What's going on there? (laughs) What is going on? 
something and you had to say. He's like, what is going on there? I feel like it's either peak A-League or peak W-League and we had the two kind of married in that moment because these are, are not uncommon moments in either of these particular leagues, to be fair, but it was good to see the girls had a good laugh about it. So it's not so much bad news as it is some funny news. Um, My good news is, however, and ending on this note, I'm really excited by because Perth Glory are finally in action after this long wait. Again, COVID-19 has been wretched to so many and notwithstanding sport, but in particular now for the fact that Perth have been having to sit on the sidelines and wait it out until they get, can get actually get started, I think would have been really frustrating for Richie Garcia's side. Um, you know, it, they, they reached a point where particularly going through this kind of ugly collective bargaining agreement negotiation period where the players were stood down last year, where they reached a really nasty point, Stolich. You know, there were rumblings at Diego Castro. They were threatening to deport him if he didn't leave willfully and terminate his contract. He's now back on the books. Everything seems to be going full steam ahead now. So to be able to retain a player of his quality, I'm really excited by. They have signed some new players as well, so we'll be seeing some new faces. And also a youngster, a 16-year-old that we might see too, Stolich. Yep. Just yep. give us a quick insight into who that might be. Yeah, there's a story from uh, Joey Lynch. A shout out to Joey. But uh, Josh Rawlins is likely to um, start, uh, we understand. Uh, he's a 16-year-old kid, uh, fullback. He played actually a little bit in the friendly against Manchester United a few years ago when he was 15. Uh, he was the youngest member of our Joey's team that went over to the Under-17 World Cup last year. Uh, he was the seventh youngest player in ACL history when he played over in the hub recently, and he's going to be the second youngest player after Mohamed Torre in this uh, A-League season. Wow. So very exciting that he plays. I actually really hope as well a young guy, Daniel Steins, he's about 21, 22, hope he gets some game time because I was very impressed with him during the ACL. Uh, looks like a very good player. So, yeah, it's really great that Perth uh, are finally playing. And, you know, shout out to Perth. Uh, two teams shout are below out. you and they've played – They've played more games than you. I mean, Newcastle played three <laughs> games more than you, and they're still below you, and you haven't played a single minute. That's incredible. So, well done, oh, Perth. Not even on the bottom of the ladder. Well done, Perth. So, a reminder, those games are kicking off tonight. Um, at McDonald Jones Stadium, we've got Newcastle taking on Brisbane Raw, then following that at 9.20pm, put on a pot of coffee because Perth Glory, for the first time this season, are in action against Adelaide United. Then coming up for the weekend, Sydney FC taking on the Mariners, Western United against Perth Glory. Again, we'll see them and Adelaide United taking on the victory before we move on to Sunday. Wellington Phoenix in action against Newcastle Jets. So some football coming your way this weekend, guys. As we've always said, get to the ground, switch on your TV, or as the great Danny Townsend has suggested, go over to the Star or switch on KO no. and watch some football. Screw the Star, man. The <laughs> no, Star is no, one of the worst no, places. They shouldn't actually go to that game on principle. You want to charge $50 for away fans? Let them go and put the money in the slots at the pokies and get pissed and watch the game with their friends no. at the star, right? No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not an advocate. I, I don't know why you've just muted yourself. I don't know what happened to your microphone, but uh, I've completely lost you. But it's all right. Well, I'll, I'll, this is nice. I just get to speak by myself at the moment while your microphone's gone. I say, don't go to the star. The star sucks. I've been there many a time to watch a football game, and it's a terrible place to watch a football game. And, yes, yeah, $50 is way too Did much. You I don't know. you mute my what, mic maybe? Uh, you know what? I should do it more often. I can't um, even like, hear you now. You can't hear me now. Isn't that ironic at the moment that I start telling people that they should go to the slots instead of turning up to McDonald's? Oh, no. Oh, no. Now my internet's gone on the fritz.
So clearly it's time for us to wrap up the show. That's where we're at on this point. I can see you laughing, Stolich. If only I could hear you, it brings music to my ears, guys. <laughs> that is absolutely we've got all the time for <laughs> on today's program. We're ending on a technical difficulty, so what better way to, to wrap things up? As I mentioned earlier, we did have some breaking news concerning Daniel Arzani's potential next move, so head to the World Game website for that. For all of the stories that we have discussed, of course, you can also head to the World Game website. It is your one-stop shop for all opinion pieces, video content, and all news from not just Australia, but globally as well. Solich, great to have your company and a very big special thanks to all of our guests that we had here today. AAFC Chairman Nick Galatis, who spoke about their recent update that they've been able to deliver a report on the national second tier. We also had the chance to catch up with Western United defender Ivan Vujica and the great Sam Lewis for all things women's football related, including an update on what Tony Gustafsson had to say now that he has wrapped up his time with his coaching spell in Europe. Guys, plenty to download if you've missed any of it. Thanks for your company today. We're looking forward to your company again next week from 1pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. But for now, on behalf of myself, Solich, and the entire team at the World Game, it's goodbye for now and we're glad to see the back of these technical difficulties. Ciao. <laughs>